Well, hey, everybody. Uh, last night, I had my 25th high school reunion, believe it or not. And this was the first reunion, let me tell you, where in like one out of every three, four conversations, we started talking about the aches and pains in our bodies and the gray hair. So it's starting. It's starting. The, the downhill decline has started post-40, so we're going all downhill. But it was fun. It was fun besides that. You know, got to catch up with some friends I hadn't seen, and some of them I hadn't seen in 25 years. Uh, they had never gone to a reunion. I'd been pretty faithfully going to all of them. But it was really, really a fun time uh, to reconnect with some old friends. Um, there's really only one I've stayed in touch with more regularly all throughout the time. But it was really good, and those that three hours went by really quick. We had all I paid hundred dollars for food and basically ate like one carrot stick. So, oh well, I guess the value is in the people, right? That's what we were all about. Anyway, um, I wanted to share a little bit. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit about friendship, and I wanted to share with you something that um, is directly related to this that God spoke to me about five or six years ago. And I had a dream, and in this dream, it was one of the one of the few, I think I can count on my hand, few dreams, it was very clearly God was trying to relay a message to me kind of situations. In the dream, uh, I'll spare some of the details, my high school friends were there. I said, hey guys, you're here. Great to see you. And then they're like, well, we don't want to see you. And they just walked away from me. And it really struck me. And it was kind of like a, one of those dreams that was a little bit jarring. Um, it just so happened that over the next two weeks, or less, that I had encounters with people and in um, ministry environments where the Holy Spirit was t tapping on me and hitting this theme of friendship again. In one conversation, um, a friend of mine was talking about how pastors, particularly in Bolivia where we work, struggle with friendship. Uh, the speaker I went to at this missions conference talked about how friends were so important. Um, and again and again, God was just putting his finger on this idea of friendship. I was laying down praying and I had this revelation, um, and I realized that, through, and I hadn't really thought about it. I really hadn't thought about friendship as a thing to think about, really, because I was so busy and I was relating everywhere, that all throughout my life, when I was young, I remember in elementary school, high school, um, I've had these instances where I've had a group of friends or a good friend, and that friend, for whatever reason, just left and never communicated with me again. And it was like a hurt and a wound in my heart and in my life that I had not acknowledged or even thought about because I was so busy. I was so busy relating. I mean, my, in being in ministry, you're always relating and you're always connecting with people. And I, you got a family of four kids, so there's no lack of relationship that I've had in my life. However, what God was doing, he was highlighting something really important at that point, the value and importance of friendship, particularly godly friendships. And that was a turning point for me in which I started becoming a lot more intentional and praying and seeking God. Okay, God, what do you want me to do about this? What do you want me to do uh, about this situation that you've been highlighting to me? And um, I, I think uh, one of the things that I've experienced and that I've experienced is not just me alone. Uh, in fact, many people, many people in our country particularly, and particularly men in, in general, have a harder time with actual friendship. So I was doing some research this week. It's interesting, one author said that we're actually in a recession, of what's called a friendship recession. Listen to this. The percentage of men with at least six close friends fell by half since 1990, from 55 to 27%. They also found that there has been a five-fold increase of the number of men in particular 
who don't have one good friend in their life at all. I mean, this is, this is pretty shocking. And not only do men generally have smaller friendship circles, but they're not usually as emotionally connected as, as women are. Women tend, tend, and research shows this, tend to be more emotionally um, connected and have stronger bonds with their friends. So on top of that, some other trends that are happening, the work trends in the United States with people working now online more, not going in, physically going into a place of work, have limited the capacity for people in general to establish those connections in person with their work fellow work friends. And so work friends, that, that pool that was originally there is beginning to diminish as well. Um, and then on top of that, so another layer, what, what these tributaries that are feeding this stream, this recession stream of friendship, is that social media in and of itself and the fact that we can go online is actually having a detrimental effect in many ways, despite what we might think. And so the link, and I've, I've discussed this before, and maybe you've seen, read some of those articles yourself, but the link, the causal link between someone's online active presence and their physical presence with, uh, in person with people, there's a direct relationship that was recently discovered. There was a study done in 2020 by the University of Pennsylvania. It was psychologist Melissa Hunt. And she published her findings in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology, but this is what she says, okay? This is a kind of a summary statement. Using, after all the research, she said, here's the bottom line, using less social media than you normally would leads to significant decreases in both, one, depression, and two, in loneliness. And so it was for, it was just kind of like an idea. We think there's a problem, but there's actually been scientific evidence, research showing that there's a direct causal connection between those two. And so I, was, I found that to be quite striking. And really, the effects are particularly more pronounced in people who come into situations with, with their um, anxiety or depression issues. But basically, the more time online, and I'm talking, well, just in general, even at work, but the more time online, the less time with people. The more time online, the less time with people. So that's another factor that's contributing to this friendship recession that we're, many of us are experiencing. So we're talking about friendships, restoring our relationships. That's our, um, our, our sermon series for now. And uh, as we look to, the, to God and as we look at his word, uh, again, the scriptures give us some really valuable wisdom and insight into what characteristics, what, what does a, a godly friendship, what is the kind of friendship that God wants each of us to have? And really the bottom line is this. It's very simple, and any of you could say this, but to actually do it is better, better well done than well said. It's that God wants each of us to have godly, genuine friendships. Especially, I want, if you're a man here today, I want to speak to you as well as I would speak to myself, one of those situations, that the way God has brought me on this journey. I want to really put an exclamation point on this for the men uh, in the room in particular. Not that the women are um, exempt, but certainly they have uh, do a better job at it, admittedly. And one of the uh, key um, illustrations of friendship, which you may or may not be familiar with in the Bible, is this, this relationship between King David and his good friend Jonathan. It's a really good illustration. In fact, it was a friendship that was so strong, they defied a king, and it ended up in the saving of, of lives. Um, but, so I'm, we're going to talk, I'm going to just give you a little glimpse into that. So today's message is called The Gift of Godly Friendship. So let's pray, and then I want to look at that scripture together and see what we can learn. Lord, we thank you for the gift of 
uh, of your presence that we celebrate every week and the experience of your good presence and worship. Thank you for that time we had together. And um, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would hover over us and um, release within us this gift. You would speak to each of our hearts about what our place is uh, in, in friendship world. In, in regards to what you're calling us and how you're calling us to move ahead or to make changes in our lives about what friends we have in our life. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your, your life and your voice, and we pray that we would hear you today. So, Spirit of God, we open our hearts and our minds to what you want to do. Uh, in, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So here's where we pick up the story. It was a time of war. The Israelites were warring against the Philistines. It was bitter war. And King Saul had, was the first king of Israel, and he was leading uh, uh, really uh, the, the whole bloody, uh, bloody war against the Philistines and the surrounding Amalekites and other surrounding nations. And so it was a time of turmoil. It was a time of difficulty. It was a time of battling. And David, as we get to this story, what we're going to see here, David had slain uh, Goliath the giant, which many of you, uh, most of you probably have heard that story. Saul the king, he was so envious of David's heroism, even though he was on the same side, he kept trying to kill David. He was so jealous, so envious, that he tried to throw a spear at him, um, and then he relented. Jonathan, his friend, uh, who he met, we're going to see that, that meeting right here in a moment, or that initial connection. He spared his life, so he would warn David about what had happened. And it came at the end of the, the scene where it was really quite um, heart-wrenching was just a, a time when, when Jonathan warned David that his father Saul, because they tested him, was going to kill him. And they just wept bitterly in each other's presence. And it said David wept even more. And so this is a really sad story, but you can tell the, how deep and meaningful this friendship was that these two, that these two men had, had at that point. And so in order to understand this friendship, what I'd like to do is just look at a glimpse of a few verses uh, that shows us the foundation of that relationship. So what were the key characteristics or components that make this kind of godly friendship? And it's something I think we can all use a reminder of. If we haven't heard this before, we certainly can be reminded of these things. And this happened right after David killed Goliath. He was a national hero. And then this is an interaction that Jonathan's having with David. So let's take a look. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 and 4. So after David had finished talking with Saul, uh, Jonathan, Saul was the king there, Jonathan became one spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Okay, so what I'd like to do is just briefly highlight what are those three, I see, at least I do in here, I see three characteristics of a godly friendship that I believe God would want each of us to have in our lives. And so in the first one is, 
and you can see it uh, in that first verse there, is, is spiritual unity. It says that Jonathan became one in spirit. So there's a unity of spirit, or what I would call spiritual unity that they had. And the text doesn't really go into mo- much detail of how that exactly came about, but all we know is that there was a, a unique spiritual connection that formed between David and Jonathan after the battle with, uh, with Goliath. And so David and Jonathan... They actually shared. So unity is a lot about sharing something in common. So they, they did actually share some significant things in common. One, they were both uh, warriors. They were courageous warriors. They shared a common enemy. And, and, and then I think most of all, they shared a passion and a love for God. They, they were committed to God wholeheartedly. And, and this, this unique relationship was formed on that, on that basis. And um, you know, oftentimes in, in our own lives, there's, there's, a, there's a battle, there's a spiritual battle, there's a physical battle that when we go through together, it forms deep relationships with one another. And I mean, just for example, um, on a, like from the big picture, we're, we've been together for about eight years as a church, you know, some of the best relationships I've developed have been in the trenches doing church planting and doing ministry, doing going on missions. Those are the kind of situations where you, in t- you face these really intense situations. Or sometimes even in small groups where you, one of the, or two of the members or multiple people are going through this really difficult time and you're battling together. Um, a lot of those friendships that, that have been formed that I've seen, not only just my life, but in, in my friends and others I've, I've known well, have been formed in a place of prayer where people are praying deeply for one another, desperately, uh, based on the things that are going on in their lives. And it's kind of a situation here. It's, I, I found that friendship is one of the benefits of, of doing life together and doing, even doing ministry together. You know, the New Testament writers spoke also about this spiritual unity, but there's another kind of unity. So I just wanted to mention that briefly, but I want to show you another scripture. You may have heard it in 1 Corinthians 6.14, and this is what Paul writes, okay? So he talks about spiritual unity, but he comes at it from a really different angle. Um, he's, he's writing this because the Corinthians were having a lot of problems in their relationships with one another, and he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have to do in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Okay, so it's interesting here. So there's the different kind of spiritual unity. So there's the, the common unity that you have together and battling together, going in a common direction, a shared vision, a shared struggle. But then there's a kind of unity that's spiritual in nature that Paul's highlighting here that can't be shared between two different people who have different faiths or coming from a different background. That someone has the Holy Spirit or Jesus as the foundation of their faith and then someone who doesn't. That there's a disconnect there and there's a lack of depth that happens because of that. Not that you can't be friends with someone of a different faith. Of course we can. But uh, there's, a, there's a depth there that can't be crossed because of the spiritual disunity that happens. And I think a lot of us um, miss, miss out on that because we don't share that spiritual foundation. You know, um, I want to talk particularly to young people right now. If you're a young person, you know, teenagers, 20s, this is one of the most important, pivotal, this kind of decisions that you can make in your life. And Many of you were here when my daughter Grace stood up in front of everyone and told them about, told us in her testimony, and I'm not sharing anything she hasn't shared because she stood up here and shared it herself, but she was very clear that the friends that she chose in her life led to spiritual destruction in her life, and she began to rot to the core spiritually, and she, it became very, very dark for her. And it was a direct result, not just like, 
a side reason, but it was a direct result of the people that she began associating with and she began taking on um, the characteristics that they have. There was, there was a light and a calling for her life that was not consistent with the people that she was hanging out with. And uh, things just began to go wrong. I, I saw this just yesterday. I think this is an excellent illustration. You can say being too close to the wrong people can ruin you, just as it would with, with the fruit. So this is what happens to us. We could be a healthy, good fruit, but if we're attached to something that is rotting, then it impacts who we are. And it, it, it will lead to, to disaster. And so I'm going to encourage you, listen, if you are a young person, you know, Teresa, I believe she's teaching today, she's leading a group for young adults. I'd encourage you, get connected to that group or somewhere. If it's not that group, some group of believers, godly friends or people who are pursuing God in their life. Because if you don't, it's going to have an impact on you and it's not, it's not going to end well if you don't make those changes in your own life. You know, the relationship with David here, um, it's interesting. All throughout the, uh, the Samuel, what, and even the, the kings, the, they're called the former prophets in the book of Kings. What, what the scriptures like to do is compare and contrast for us, kind of like light and dark, to show us the difference between good and evil, to help us distinguish. And what, what the scriptures, these, the text does, is it makes a distinct contrast between this relationship that, that Jonathan had uh, with Saul, or what Jonathan and David had with Saul, as opposed to David had with Saul himself. And so that relationship was, I mean, this is one of the, I, uh, the terms is just thrown around a lot, I don't know why, but a to- you know, a toxic relationship. This relationship was certainly toxic for David, and there was a comparison there. And Dave, Saul, he, there was these, these bad rotting ingredients, there was jealousy, there was anger, and there was a deception. Those are three relational diseases that will kill friendships and kill any relationship just, just at all, but particularly friendships. Listen to this. Proverbs twenty two twenty four says it this way. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person and do not associate with one who is easily angered. And so Saul, Saul was abusive. He was abusive to both Jonathan, his own son Jonathan. He tried to kill his own son Jonathan when he sided with David. And then on multiple instances, he tried to kill David. I mean, he he like mustered an entire army to try and go find David and kill him. And, you know, it's, there's, there's a time and place to steer clear of certain relationships. So it's good to have, dis, it, in this sense, you could say it's good to have disunity from certain kinds of people, particularly abusive relationships. And I've seen, sadly, in ministry um, that many people um, feel like they, have, they feel compelled to go back to in a relationship that is abusive even though they continue to hurt themselves. And certainly that would not be the scriptural stance and kind of the name of unity. But in fact, there are certain relationships in which unity is not possible. And in those instances, it is, there, a breaking would be the healthy and the right thing to do. So just to, just to keep that in mind, I want to say that um, you don't want to be involved with people who keep warning, uh, hurting you. Um, in that regard. That is definitely the heart of God. So let me just state, state that, but now let me go back and kind of give you a different angle. However, wounding, quote unquote, even with good friends, we're all going to be wounded. So not all wounding necessarily is bad either. It's the kind of wounding. So let me, let me show you another scripture. It's because these Proverbs kind of look at different angles, wisdom. Um, there's a kind of wounding that might feel bad, but is actually good. 
uh, you may have heard this proverb. I love it because I think it's, it's something we all need to learn. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So what Saul would do is he would put on these pretenses, he would create a situation that made it seem like one thing, but it would be another in order to trap David and to hurt him. So he would put on a, a dinner, like you're, you're invited to dinner, but what he really wanted to do, do, do was kill David. Um, but David, Jonathan told David the truth. Listen, my dad's gonna kill you. And that, did that hurt David? Absolutely, hearing that news. See, we all need people in our lives uh, who can tell us the truth even when it hurts. See, a loving friend will tell us the truth and be honest with us even if it quote-unquote wounds us. That's a good kind of wound. We need those people who will hold us accountable and will tell us the truth even if we don't want to hear the truth. And so a good friend will not multiply kisses in the regard of just trying to make everything seem right. But some people just have this mentality, and it's often based on fear, that I want to avoid all conflict. I'm not going to say anything because I want to protect myself. I want to avoid the conflict and the tension because there's a fear there's going to be a break of relationship. But in fact, you're doing more harm than good. It's kind of like a doctor, like the extreme example, not wanting to hurt the person's feelings, like to reveal that this person actually has a chronic disease and needs to do something about it. It's completely ridiculous. But we do that so often um, because we feel this sense of shame. But it's important in love to be able to share honestly and openly with our friends the things that we see in their lives, even, even if it's not easy for them to hear. See, lying and that kind of the, the fear from shame, lying destroys relationships. That's what lying does. Lying will destroy relationships. Anger destroys relationships, even white lies. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And the way we do that is not through falsehood, but through truth. By speaking the truth, and as Paul put it, I think it was in Galatians, speaking the truth in love. So the opposite, if I were to use a word that would kind of be the opposite of that, and it's a word, it's a buzzword that's been... um, uh, popularized by a professor named Brene Brown, who, who's written you know, several books and has some popular TED Talks. Anyway, she's, she's done a lot of research on shame and vulnerability. But the opposite of that is being vulnerable. And um, I love her quote. She says this, vulnerability, and I, I, she's probably, I would guess, the leading researcher on shame and vulnerability, but she says this, vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. And so, in our relationships, if you want to go deep, if you want to develop a godly friendship, if you want to develop a friendship that's meaningful, there needs to be vulnerability as the starting place. Not lying or shame or covering things up, but a vulnerability in order to share the thing, who you really are with, with, that, with that friend. Okay, number two. The second thing we see in the story I see is, is, as you may guess, that an ingredient that makes every relationship work that is the ultimate goal, which is the, ulti- the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment, is selfless love. He loved him as he loved himself. Again, the wisdom of the proverb says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And so David and Jonathan, the relationship, it was born in a time of war, literally war, and battling, and bloodshed, and... and terror and emotional pain and and separation and rejection. And this is why some of the best relationships really are formed uh, by people who are on the battlefield. You know, you you can, uh, I may have said this before, but you you can forge much stronger relationships on on a battleship than you can on a love boat. That's where relationships 
really become strong because of that shared struggle that you have. And real friends, they make sacrifices for one another. And so you know who your real true friends are is because they're willing to give up their time, they're willing to give up their money, they're willing to give up their energy, they're willing to give up themselves for you, they're willing to sacrifice what is theirs for your benefit, to love you as they would love themselves. They're taking something out of themselves in order that you might receive life and blessing for yourself. That's what, that's what uh, David says here, the way Jonathan loved David. He loved him as he loved himself. And of course, that echoes exactly what Jesus taught us, is to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I've seen a lot of people, you know, survive on friendships for many years, but those friendships, they're actually not really genuine friendships. They're just either drinking buddies or sports buddies, but they don't want to hear anything about your your life. They don't want to hear about your childhood wounds. They don't want to hear about your, your marriage problems. They just want to, they're in it for the good times. You know, let's enjoy a good cheesesteak together. You know, let's just enjoy a, a Phillies game. Or let's, but, but when it really gets down to the important things, the, the core, the issues that, that plague all of us, they don't want to have anything to do with it. But we want the kind of friends who are willing to love in the midst of adversity. And those are the friends who are genuine friends in each of our lives. I love it, how, how he's generous. And this picture of, of Jonathan just giving up his armaments is, I, I believe, in giving up his sword, that giving up of like armor and sword, I, I want that to be a picture for each of us. And to me, that's the ulti, an ultimate picture of friendship for me, or of relationship, is a picture of vulnerability. You, you're willing to take the armor off. You're willing to take the sword out and let it go. You're allowed to, you allow yourself to be exposed to your friends so you can, for the sake of relationship, you're, you're removing those barriers that we often hold up. We want to be strong in front of it. And in fact, what Jonathan did here, these were royal armaments and everything he did was even more significant than we might see on the surface because what he was doing, he was abdicating his throne. He was basically saying the, the sword, all those, um, the places of armor, the robe itself, it was a royal robe. Uh, and so what he was saying is like, David, you can be king in my place. Now there's a lot of theological significance in this, but just from a, on a friendship level, Jonathan was willing to give up the throne for David. I mean, you think about sacrifice. We're talking about, you can't really give up much more than your life itself. And in fact, that's what he was doing. He was giving up his life for David. I love, um, I love how the relationship actually between them was a sign of the friendship that Jesus offered us. This is what Jesus said. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. See, Jesus himself, Jesus himself called his disciples friends. He's like, listen, we're not just servants here. You're not just my servants, but you are my friends. And the good news, this foreshadowing, this relationship between David and Jonathan is really a foreshadowing of a gift that God wanted to give to each of us. And that's a friendship through the covenant of blood that Jesus made. And, and just in this last supper scene, he says the same thing here. He, makes a, this is, he says, this is the new covenant of my blood. Um, and what he's talking about, it's a new relationship. It's a new relational dynamic. It's a new commitment that I make to you because of my death, and he went to his death, 
He died on the cross, rose from the grave. Why? Because he wanted to be friends with us forever. See? And this is the good news that we, that we celebrate in communion. This is the good news that we celebrate is that we can be friends with God. And Jesus made that possible through the relationship, what he did on the cross. It was a desire for friendship. And even, and this is not just for, this is for eternity, but Jesus in his human form, I find it really interesting that Jesus, he could have done everything as a solo, solo guy, but he didn't. Jesus himself needed friends. Jesus wanted companionship. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, uh, he, he wanted his friends to be with him. His good friends, three really good friends. And if Jesus needed good friends in his life, how much more do we each need good friends in our lives. See, friends are a gift that God wants to give to each of us. Friends who are, who are, who are generous, who are, who are loving towards us, and, and friends who we have spiritual unity with. Okay, last but not least, friends also have this idea of covenant. Now, what I, I'm going to rephrase it. What I'm going to rephrase it as is a clear <coughs> commitment. Look at verse, um, verse three says, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And so again, what is a covenant? This is a, a scriptural term that's used again, particularly a lot throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus takes it and talks about the relate, new relationship that we have uh, because of what Jesus did coming uh, to die for our sins and making a way to be made right with God. But a covenant is basically a binding agreement between two parties, often ratified and witnessed by the witnesses of other people. In other words, it's a clear commitment that you make. It's not only clear to those two people, but it's clear to everybody. Just so we make, make sure everyone knows, so when you buy a house or when you, you get married to someone, it's very clear you stand at the altar and you say, you, make, you commit your lives to one another and everyone's there to witness that. And so that's what basically a covenant is, is that binding agreement. And often, so you can, you can have spiritual unity with someone, you can love them in your heart, but if there's no clear commitment, if there's no intentionality whatsoever, nothing is going to happen. And there's going to be brokenness in that, in that relationship. And in fact, as I look back, uh, and this is, came up in a conversation I had with one of my friends who was at this reunion, is that I said, listen, hey, when you're in town, like, let me know. Like, but it's been like 25 years, and he's not... Like any, and he comes to town often, but not like never connects with me. And that, to me, was a, a, a place of pain. And I, I don't believe there's anything intentional there. It's in terms of like, I don't like Richard. He's not a, I don't want to have anything to do with him. It's just a lack of intentionality in, in taking those steps, active steps. See, in order to be related to someone, there need to be very clear patterns established in that relationship. Like we're gonna get together once a month or we're gonna go for a walk whenever we can, whenever I can get away from the family. Or you establish a clear pattern with that person in order to relate to them. There's, there's clarity there. And I would say this too, is that often in our relationships, I think even in our friendships between, whether it's a friendship between two guys or two women, you need to be very clear and, and explicitly state, listen, I value your friendship. I value the time. I wanna build our our, our friendship. And sometimes you need to talk about that because a lot of our relationships naturally evolve from where we are, whether it's in work or in our family or at the gym or those, those contexts where we find ourselves or in church. But listen, I want to get together with you and I want to get together as a friend. Let's just go out for a drink. Let's just go grab a pretzel. Let's just go grab some water ice. Let's just connect as a friend, whatever it is, but be clear about it. Like you want to develop 
a friendship with them. And in doing so, that's where relationship happens. Otherwise, otherwise it's just an idea that never quite takes, takes action. And that's what Jonathan David did. I don't think we're gonna ever see covenants quite like this. I don't think we need to go to that extreme, but certainly it's a lesson for each of us to set those expectations. Now, with that said, just one other thing, and then, then I wanna close it up here, is that <clears throat> there's only a certain number of this level of relationship that you can have. And there, there's different degrees of friendship. So it's okay. And it's okay to have friendships just for a season and a time. It's okay to have friends who are more casual friends that don't maybe meet all of these uh, characteristics of a godly friendship. That's fine. We're talking about some few close people. In fact, just like that research done is saying six people. Maybe over the course of your life, there's maybe three to six people who would meet this over the course of your entire entire life. And that's what I want you to start thinking about. And the question I want to ask you is, do you have those people in your life? See, so yeah, one of the best illustrations I heard about people and relationships is that people are like Legos. So imagine one of those Lego bricks that's like a, a two by four, kind of one of those. You can only stick on so many Legos before they start to fall off. And people, because we're people, we're limited in our capacity. But you want to be very careful very intentional, very prayerful about who the people who you let stick to you because it matters. It's gonna, it's actually can change the course of your entire life. So the main idea, my friends, listen, God wants you to have godly friendships in your life. Friendships that are self-sacrificing, friendships where there's spiritual unity and friendships where there's intentionality from both sides. You can be intentional as one person, but if you're going to give and give and they're not going to provide the other side, the friendship is not going to go very far. And I want you to consider, and so as we go into a prayer time, what I'd like you to do, and this is the exercise I did, but not as an exercise, just as a response to the Holy Spirit's initiation in my own life, is I took stock. I took some time to reflect, and I thought, who are the people in my life that God, you're calling me to be friends with, that that I sense the spiritual unity with, that I, that I see the sense of, of loving them as, as I love myself. Who are these people? Who are, in fact, the, at one of these spiritual um, direction retreats I went to, they put it this way, is if you were to die today, who would be the six people you would want to carry your, your casket? If they're strong guys, you could have four. You could do four guys. Okay, so maybe four to six. You need at least four, okay? So I'm gonna give you four to six. So who would those four to six people be if you were to die today that we would want to carry your casket and speak at your funeral? They're the lifelong friends. And I believe that it is God's will, and I will state this emphatically, that you have four to six friends, at least over the course of your life, who can love you, who can honor you, who will sacrifice for you gladly, because they love you as they love themselves. This is a gift, the gift of godly friendship that God wants for each of us. And I believe he wants it for me and he wants it for each of you. So as we close here, what I'd like to do is I wanna create a, a space of quiet reflection for us to have a conversation with God and ask people, see if you can answer the question. So if, you, if I gave you something, I could give you something to write with, but you can make a mental note or maybe go home and do it. Can you write down four to six people? And if so, who are they? That's question number one. Question number two is that if you can't, what changes 
might you be invited by God to make in order to make that happen? Maybe it's to give up selfishness or unwise decisions or lack of intentionality. Could be any number of things, but I'm gonna, we're just going to create a space for God to speak to each of us and meet us where we are. So let's, let's do that now. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we, I, we invite you, and I invite you to speak to each and every one of us. Um, you, I pray that you would put your finger on it, on your, your divine finger, on the place in our heart or in our history uh, that identifies a real need and a growth point in our friendships that you have for each and every one of us. I pray that you would do that even right now, or at least start the process and soften our hearts. Father, I ask in your son's name, Jesus, you would give us the grace, give us the grace for every person here to enjoy the gift of godly friendship that you offer and that you desire for each and every one of us. I pray that you would root out and reveal, even though it might hurt to see it, <clears throat> the wounds, the childhood wounding, and our present wounding that might keep us from moving forward. Pray that you would reveal any lack of intentionality or whatever is there that's keeping us from enjoying the fullness of relationship and particularly friendship that you desire in each of our lives. And I pray, God, that uh, those of us among us who have a feel like an orphan, a spiritual orphan, where there's an orphan spirit that where we feel alone or separate or that we don't belong. I pray that you would break the power of that lie and that you would bring transformation and truth. And I want to speak to you. If, you. if that resonates with you now, I speak over you life, that you are loved, that you are welcomed, that you are a child of God and you are called to be an important part of God's family. You can choose to walk in your true identity. Let that truth sink into your heart. Thank you, Lord. Amen.